0: book three chapter six of clara vaughan volume two this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit LibriVox.org. recording by ellen preckle clara vaughan volume two by r d blackmore book three chapter six if professor ross entered my room under evil auspices it was not long before he sent the birds the other way For the first time since my childhood I met a man of large and various knowledge, a man who had spent his life in amassing information and learning how to make the most of it. A little too much, perhaps, there was of the second, and more fruitful branch, of the sour-sweet tree. Once I had been fool enough to fancy that some of my own little bo-peeps at nature were original and peculiar. To Thomas Kenwood, farmer Huxtable, and even Mr. Shelfer, a gardener, I had been quite an oracle as to the weather, the sky, and the insects about moreover in most of the books i had read there were such blunders even in matters that lie on nature's doorsteps that looking back at them i thought i had crossed her threshold as the proverb has it nature always event is itself and here was i a mere gappermouth, i use a devonshire word to be taught that i had not yet cropped even a cud to chew true i did not expect like mr and mrs shelfer that a boiled caterpillar would become a live butterfly Neither did I believe, with Farmer Huxtable, that hips and haws foretell a hard winter, because God means them for the thrushes. But I knew no more than they did the laws and principles of things. My little knowledge was all shreds and patches. It did not cover even the smallest subject. Odd things here and there I knew, but a person of sound information knows the odd and the even as well. My observations might truly be called my own, but instead of being peculiar to me, nearly all of them had been anticipated centuries ago. I was but a gypsy straying where an army had been all this i suspected in less than ten minutes from the professor's entrance he did not leave me long in doubt about it it is just to myself to say that the discovery did not mortify me much my little observations had been made partly from pure love of nature's doings partly through habits drawn from a darker spring at first i felt no pleasure in them but it could not long be so now they were mine as much as ever even though a thousand shared them with me As the professor laid bare my ignorance and my errors, and proved that the little I did know was at second-hand, which it certainly was not, I attempted no reply. I was too young for argument, and too much interested to be impatient. So he demolished my ham and myself, with equal relish and equal elegance of handling. He seemed to have no intention of doing either, but managed both incidentally and almost accidentally, while he opened his mental encyclopedia at length isola who was tired of lectures such as she got and forgot every day felt that it was high time to assert her prerogative and come to my rescue come happy you fancy you know everything don't you he was just beginning to treat of mosses and i knew that he was wrong upon several points but did not dare to say so my dear child of the million things i never shall discover one is the way to keep you at all in order i should hope not indeed come now here is another thing you don't know How long did it take to boil this delicious ham? Clara knows, and so do I. Upon that matter, I confess my total ignorance. Here, here, Pappy, you can lecture by the hour upon isothermic laws and fluids and fibrine and adipose deposits, and you can't tell how long it took to set this delicate fat. I'll tell you what it is, Pappy. If you ever snub me in lecture again before the junior sophists, as you dared to do yesterday, I'll sing out Ham, Pappy, Ham and you'll see how the girls will laugh.' "'No novelty, my dear, for them to laugh at you. I fear you will never learn anything but impertinence.' His words were light, and he strove to keep his manner the same, but his eyes belied him. Isola ran round and administered her never-failing remedy. There was that sweetness about her nobody could resist. Returning to her seat, she gave me a nod of triumph, and began again. "'Now, papples, when you are good again you shall have a real treat.' Clara will show you her cordetto, won't you, dear? It is twice as big as yours and more than twice as pretty. I took it from my neck where it had been throughout my illness. Isola told me continually that it had saved my sight, and so old Cora devoutly believed, crossing herself and invoking fifty saints. Long afterwards I found that Cora knew it to be the heart of the Blessed Virgin, perpetuated in the material which her husband used. If so, it had been multiplied as well. Dr. Ross took my pretty gourdet and examined it narrowly, carrying it to the window to get a stronger light. Beyond a doubt, he said at last, it is the finest in Europe. I have only seen one to compare it with, and that had a flaw in the centre. Will you part with it, Miss Valance? No, I have promised never to do that. Then I must say no more, but I should have been proud to add it to my collection. To carry it about with you, you mean, Pappy? You know you are a superstitious old Pappy, in spite of all your learning." weak as my eyes were i could see the scowl of deep displeasure in his isola was frightened she knew she had gone too far she did not even dare to offer the kiss of peace no more was said about it and i turned the conversation to some other subject but when he rose to depart i found a pretext for keeping isola with me good-bye for the present miss balance dr ross said gracefully he did everything but scowl with an inborn grace i hope that your very first journey in quest of natural history will terminate at my house I cannot show you much, but shall truly enjoy going over my little collection with you whenever you find that your sight is strong enough. Meanwhile, let me earnestly warn you to abstain from chemical experiments—this was the cause of my injury assigned by Mrs. Shelfer—until you have a competent director. Isola, good-bye. I will send Cora for you in good time for tea. Your attendance at lecture will be excused all my interest in the subjects he had discussed and in his mode of treating them all my admiration of his shrewd intellectual face did not prevent my feeling in a relief when he was gone he was not at all like his children about them there was something so winning and unpretentious few could help liking them at first sight they did all they could to please but without any visible effort but with the professor in spite of all his elegance and politeness i could not help perceiving that he was not doing his best that he scorned to put forth his powers when there was neither antagonist nor, in his opinion, duly qualified listener. Nonetheless, I could have told him some things he did not know concerning lichens and mosses. When I was left with my favorite Isola, that gentle senior sophist, seemed by no means disconsolate at her papa's departure. She loved him and was proud of him, but there were times, as she told me, when she was quite afraid of him. Would you believe it, dear, that I could be afraid of old Pappy? His age was about four and forty. It is very wicked, I know, but how am I to help it? Were you like that with your papa when he was alive? No, I should think not, but I am not at all sure that he wasn't afraid of me. Oh, how nice that must be! But it is my fault, isn't it? I could not well have told her, even if I had known, that the fault in such cases is almost always on the parent's side. End of Book 3, Chapter 6